Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome to another GeoMob podcast. This morning, it's my pleasure to have Quentin Lake with me. Good morning, Quentin. Welcome. Hi. Morning. So Quentin's biography is not what you'd expect for a normal, for our regular podcast interviewees. He's an architectural and landscape photographer. He trained as an architect and he says that his interest is in geometry and the serenity of that which informs his photographic work. When not working on assignments for clients, he creates photographic artworks in series based on long landscape walks and aspects of the built environment, which are then signed as prints. So this is not the normal person we have on, on a GMOB podcast, but you'll find out in a minute why we're so excited to have Quentin talking to us. So Quentin, talk to us about the massive project that you've started to undertake or a nearly finishing undertaking. Yeah, nearly. Yeah. Well, well, five years ago, I decided I would try and walk around the, uh, the coast of mainland Britain with a tent and a camera and record that and make prints from it. And I'm now 91% through that journey, which is about 6,000 miles through. I've got about 600 miles yet to go. Wow. And how long has that taken you? Well, well that, that's taken me up 413 days of walking. It's taken me 251 days of photo editing and, um, and countless days of, of kind of planning and looking at maps and organising logistics and all those kind of things that are the less glamorous side of the journey, journey like this. And you're literally walking the perimeter along the sea the whole way? Well, I'm, I'm trying to walk the the safest possible path that I can near the sea. So mostly in England, that's a, that's normally a public footpath or some kind of road. And, and in Scotland, where most of it has got, there's, there's no official footpaths. It's it's often sort of pure wilderness. So you have to use your own initiative as to which is the safest point. But areas like Noydart, for example, there's there's barely any paths around it. So the safest part, because the mountains are so steep, is often on the ridge of the hills. So it varies from almost being mountaineering to, to being, you know, walking along a promenade with ice creams every few metres. And you're carrying a backpack and a tent and all your cameras and everything with you the whole way? The whole way, yeah. So normally it's about, it averages about 18 kilograms. It's about a kilogram per day for, for food and fuel. I normally carry about four or five days at a time. And then the cameras are about five kilos and then all the other camping stuff is, is, is about 10 kilos. Wow. And do you ever stay in guest houses or hotels or is it camping the whole way? I really love camping, but I, I'm, I'm only autonomous in terms of, of power for five days at a time. So I carry about a kilogram's worth of power cells to, to power up all my gadgets and the cameras. Oh, right. Oh, right. And, and those, those just run out after five days and, and your know, solar just isn't an option in, in this country or at least not without the weight of the solar panel being more than the power cells would be so so every five days i, I try and stay somewhere and if i can't i just have to hang around a long time in a cafe <laughs> <laughs> wow the logistics of this are quite complex then i mean this isn't just setting out for a stroll you've got to think where am i going to stop and book a room somewhere and everything there must be quite a lot of navigation involved in this this is i mean that's i think 
some some people think, well, you won't ever have to look at the map, and I couldn't be further, you know, couldn't be more wrong. As as as, as many people know, the the coastline is is a kind of fractal geometry, and its length is intimate, infinite rather, depending <laughs> how, how long you, you you try and measure it. And when you're actually somewhere like like Scotland, you're it's very unclear as to whether what you're looking at is a twenty meter little bump or whether that's actually the whole headland going around. So kind of use, using bearings and having a a sense of where you're moving is very important and often it's, it's often misty or foggy and there's very low visibility as well when the sea ha comes comes in yeah i know from the other side of that be having sailed a bit that um you know it doesn't take more than a tiny bit of mist for it to be very difficult to actually see where the coast is going and um I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, and it must be the same when you're walking it. And you've set yourself some rules, I I understand, for this walk. Well, we, yes, so uh, to me, I wanted it to be a continuous journey on, on foot where my feet would have drawn a perfect circle. So I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, um, I'm not taking any ferries or any, any mechanised transport. Or, and so, for example, in, in, in Falmouth, going around those the the roads there the inlets you know that was five days walking where whereas if you took a ferry you'd get across in about a minute <laughs> i'm I'm very particular about keeping close to the edge in scotland so so all the, all the very remotest parts i've followed as best as I, I could so does that mean that pretty much the whole time you've got the sea in sight yes that's what i definitely try and do and off, often very close in sight but but there are there are military installations there are um, the docks industrial sites so there are there are definitely areas where you can't, you simply can't get near the coast. And in England, there's, there's, there's private land in Scotland that isn't an issue. So, I mean, in, in Scotland, it's kind of rather bizarre. You get these, these grand houses and, and it's, it's absolutely fine to sort of walk along the coastline at the bottom of essentially their garden. And that's sort of accepted as being okay. So it's, it's a very different thing. But you can't do that in England because we don't have you the can't right do that way. In England. No. Yeah. So because we're all map people. Yes. Uh, talk to me about. First of all, the maps that you use to guide your walking. What maps are you using? Are you using a GPS? Are you using maps on a phone or are you using old-fashioned maps? Well, I'm primarily using everything digital for the remotest parts of Scotland where I was away from seeing anyone for weeks at a time. I took paper maps as backup, which I'm pleased to say I never had to use. So the digital maps were reliable for the whole time so far. But So I use a... Uh, a waterproof iPhone with a protective case with a lanyard attached to me so that it's less likely that I'm going to drop it and smash it. <laughs> and then on that, I have OS maps, 1 to 25,000 and 1 to 55,000. Oh, and it's OS GB is the software that I use. And that allows me to plot the route beforehand because I try and each day I try and walk between 25 and 30k and I try and figure out the campsite to be very interesting so that I can take photography at dawn and dusk. So I don't really want that to be somewhere random. I want it somewhere where it's going to be quite flat and quite good for photography. So I plan that all ahead. So, so that that's the main mapping that I use. And then I also use Pocket Earth, which is a offline kind of Wikipedia map system. So that means I can, um, because I, I very rarely have data or signal in most of Scotland. So then that means I can access kind of Wikipedia and maps and street names, which aren't shown on OS, OS maps. And, and it gives me lots of interesting information about you know, the history of this castle or whatever, because the 
Wikipedia data is on this map, which all works offline. So those those are the two main maps that I use every day. Oh, that's brilliant. So you said that you planned your campsite for sunrise and sunset photography opportunities. How do you know in advance where is likely to be a good spot for a for a photo opportunity? Well, you've got. I mean, on a technical side, you've got the photographer's ephemeris, which is a which is another amazing map that uses um, Google mapping as the underlay. And that shows you the, the the angle of the sun and the moon if you're interested in that. And you you can plot a, a height of an object, and it will it will indicate the length of the shadow. And you can it can give you a good impression of what's going to look good. And that's how you know these slightly cheesy pictures maybe with the you know an, an Olympic ring with the moon exactly in the middle of it, that kind of thing. The photographers are using software like that to figure out exactly where the moon will rise against a particular landmark at a particular time. Oh, you're giving away trade secrets. <laughs> like, I, th- I think if you, can, if you can Photoshop a photograph, it's not really that imaginative. And I always think those ones, it's, you, could, you can just Photoshop them really, can't you? Yeah. So there must have been some navigation challenges, some times when it didn't work quite the way you planned. <laughs> What's gone wrong with navigation on this massive walk of yours? When when you've got the, all these fractal headlands, I mean, I, I've I wouldn't say often, but maybe half a dozen times, I've I've just walked down the wrong wrong headland because I I, th- I think it's you know sometimes it's just like a fingers of an octopus poking out, and and you just get the wrong the wrong one. I mean, there haven't actually been you know I've had I've had other problems of physical and and you know medical problems, but I haven't really had too many na- navigation problems. I mean, I, for 30 years I use map and compass and I find the you know when you've got GPS and and the OS map it's so reliable I mean it makes it so yeah. so much easier and um the only thing that I miss from the digital map is is that sense of an overview when you open the map out you get this wonderful overview of the whole the whole journey ahead I, I do miss that because I remember when I was 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 younger I walked lands in John O'Groats when I was 20 and I, and I carried the maps all the maps with me from the beginning I remember when I when I would stop, I could unfold the map and mark out where I'd gone and see just physically how long I'd travelled. And you you don't get that sense in a digital map at all. No, and and I think actually, you know, in, I've done talks in the past in praise of paper maps, and one of the biggest challenges that we have is that you can't get that bit that broad view of your journey. You know, you know, you can't look at a twenty mile or a thirty mile walk on a three or four inch screen it just is meaningless you need that you know that sense of scale that you get when you open up the paper map and you can then actually draw on the paper map your route and see where you are in context Um, that we still haven't solved that as a as a digital mapping thing and you take i find that 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 to ameliorate that i do i do plan the maps are on a on a PC with a big screen. I find that does make it a lot easier to plan a mapping journey rather than using a small smartphone screen. And I'm and you you said you take the paper maps with you as a backup anyway. So yes, yeah. I guess I guess when you're in your tent at night and thinking about the next day, you can get the paper map out then. And uh, yes, I can. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty amazing. I think what um you know. Ordnance Survey have done with the putting their their 
walking maps onto a digital platform and the fact that you can have these things stored on your phone and linked to the GPS and always know where you are and which way you're facing. I've now literally got the whole of, of mainland Britain downloaded on, on my phone now. Uh, it's, it's extraordinary that that's possible. <laughs> I hope the Ordnance Survey have sponsored you for this walk of yours. Chris. They really should have done. <laughs> <laughs> they should have done, yes. And uh, well, maybe that's a conversation for another time. Yes. So in terms of this walk, if you had to highlight a couple of your most memorable moments whilst walking the perimeter of Great Britain, what would they be? Wow, the rough bounds and around Noidart have a really special place in, in my heart because it was it was the heart of winter, very, very, it was a snowy, driven hail. And then just when I came up from Malag on the, the very high ground looking over it, there was this a sort of hail bow came and this this big rainbow and the whole, it, it was so beautiful. And, and that the whole experience of, of traveling around that, that part of Scotland it's completely stuck in my mind as, as an extraordinary place. You know, I, I, I love it. I have to tell you, Quentin, I saw some of those, I looked at some of those pictures that I don't know whether you, they were on Twitter or on your website, but I looked at some of those pictures from around Malague. And when I was much younger, we stayed in a farmhouse in Arisaig, which is a few miles down the coast from Malague. And you brought back all those, those pictures brought back all those memories of the walks that we did in the Scottish Highlands nearly 50 years ago. And they're amazing pictures. And I really recommend everybody, we'll put the, the links in the notes to this podcast. And I encourage people to go and look at Quintin's pictures because they are truly spectacular. And so I forgot to ask you when we were talking about maps, Quentin, about the interactive map that you've started to create, the map of the walk. Well, thanks for bringing it up because it's, it's a real labour of love, but it's not, it's not, it, I, I just made a vector layered map with Illustrator. So I based it on the ordnance survey data and then I, I, I manually calculate how my progress is going and update the map. And the very challenging kind of technical issue I had was with the counties because I found the contemporary counties that divide Britain up they tend to be very small around the cities and then they're massive in the wilder parts so like you've got Highland Council area which is which is vast and then the cities are tiny bits so for my journey I wanted some geographically proportional regions so I went back to the historic counties which are much closer sized and I found it quite difficult to get the county data for Scotland and for Wales and for England to match up. So I had to get three different mapping sources to find those county boundaries. And then I overlaid those onto the contemporary ordnance survey data. And then that's the map I've based the journey on. So, and I've, I've calculated each historic county I've treated as a, as a sort of chapter of my book. And I've chosen 16 photos for each of those that I think are the strongest. So I, I, I've treated each county as like as a sub chapter of the project. And because they're more proportional than modern counties, that's why I've done that. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. And also those historic counties, probably for a lot of people, still have more resonance than some of the more government boundaries. Very much so. It's been really interesting to see that. And not only are they historic, but when you're there on foot with a with a pack on your back, you often, you know, when you're standing on the border, you go, well, clearly this is the border. You can tell it feels, it feels mm. a different type of 
topography and geography, but, and that's sort of been lost in the, in the modern, some of the modern boundaries, county boundaries. Yeah. And I think also when you're walking and you talk to local people, they identify still with historic counties. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. I've, time and yeah. time again, I've felt that. Yes. Especially in Scotland. I mean, everyone still talks about Rossshire or Sutherland. I mean, no one talks about Highland area. <laughs> no. And are you planning to build a sort of more detailed map with links to your photographs and all of that? Well, I would love to do that, but I don't, I don't have the technical skills. I mean, uh, this, this has pushed my, my limit to, to make a, a sort of a 2D map that I can update but the you know i'd, I'd love to do that it, would, it makes it makes sense because i've got such a huge archive of pictures but no, if, if anyone would get in touch i'd love to talk to them but i don't know how to do that myself that's absolutely fine and i'm pretty certain quentin that within a couple of weeks of this podcast going live we'll find somebody who would be delighted to work with you to turn the journey and the pictures into an interactive map. In fact, I've got two or three people in mind now who I will reach out to afterwards. So so you mentioned the book. Is this how you're planning to sort of recoup the costs of the trip? Uh, well, my experience is books aren't very good at recouping costs. <laughs> but but, <laughs> but I, I certainly want to do a book. I mean, I, I have something I really want to share and I, I will do a book. Uh, but I also hope to do some kind of an exhibition, a, a touring exhibition of some sort, ideally, and, and or, or maybe go to different venues in different cities, possibly around the coast. I would have hoped to have had this planned beforehand, but but if, if I'm honest about the difficulty of the journey, it's been completely all-consuming. And, and most nights I've felt I couldn't continue, I couldn't do another day. It's it's so draining because combining the the physical movement with the creativity of trying to see the world fresh you i end up completely exhausted but but the, the plan is when i when i finish i'll try and make some connections to organizations to, to be able to help fund a, a traveling exhibition right i bet your family will be pleased when you're finished they certainly yeah. will they certainly will yes yeah. <laughs> it must have been i mean this is an, a new a monster a massive project you know i i'm so impressed that you're doing this and um and i think you know I think a book will be great. I certainly, it's a shame almost that you didn't have somebody following you, filming you. Well, I, I mean, the BBC came three times. But, oh, but, did but, they? But, but it was, but, but you know, it's, it was always very surreal because, you know, it just, I turn up, I haven't watched for five days and then this van t- comes up and, and a camera gets stuck in my face. I have to say something in two minutes and it's, it's not, it's not like a, it's not like a documentary where people really see the, the yeah. rise and the fall. But but it, I'm I'm pleased it was some it was something I'm very I'm delighted it happened. Okay, so I well I for one will look forward to the film and actually when you start when you finish every couple of months we have a meetup group in London called Geomob where a group of map loving geeks come together for a couple of hours. Well, we that have sounds about like me. Four or five speakers and and then we all go to the pub, which is an important part of the evening. And it would be fantastic if we could get you to come along, share some of your journey with us and some of your photographs. So oh, I'd love to, yeah. That would be a great way to do that. So now, if people want to get in touch with you to ask you questions, to volunteer, to build an interactive map, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Via Twitter, via email? I'm most active on, on Twitter, so it's Quentin Lake on, on Twitter. And then all they 
go to the the website which is theperimeter.uk and there's there's a contact okay. form and an email on there and we'll put both of those contact details into the show notes quentin it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you thank you very much indeed thank you and listeners that's it for today thanks everyone for joining us today and listening to the geomob podcast hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Stephen at Stephen Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode and of course, seeing you at a future Geomop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.